Hi, this is Brian Roig. And my name is Cyril War, and welcome to the Shaping Spirit podcast. We're just two guys from California who accumulated a lot of academic degrees and traveled all over the world, and we're bringing it all right back here to you so that we can grow together from digital to spiritual. And today's topic is something that I really like, and I hope you guys will like it too. Uh, what is it, Brian? Thriving without attachment. And let's get this thing rocking and rolling because this is an exciting subject. And I, I loved the topic when you brought it to me. I was like, yes, we have to do this. So let's dig in, man. Well, let me tell you a quick attachment. story. A quick yeah. story. The first lesson in attachment I, I, <laughs> I learned. And it's kind of, you know, you could say, oh, poor little baby, spoiled brat. But, you know, put, you know, you get, Suffering comes in different forms, right? Even for people who come maybe from a richer background than others, and, and we can't, you know, minimize it as, as, as you know, trivial, trivial as it may sound. So uh, my parents, you know, wanted me to go to an Ivy League school, right? And I got straight A's at Crossroads High School in, in LA, and I applied uh, kind of, you know, unconsciously to, to four Ivy League schools, or in Harvard, Princeton, Yale, and Cornell, right? And my mom happened to be the best friend, or her best friend was this woman called Wendy Purcell, who was the wife of Bob Purcell, who was the biggest donor to Cornell University in the history of Cornell University. Right? Wait, weren't these the same people you went to, like, South America with to go skiing in the summertime? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, cool. So I applied to, you know, these four schools, but Cornell, I didn't, it was just like, you know, whatever. I really wanted to go to Yale. I really want to go to Harvard. I really want to go to Princeton. And I had a, a friend called Vesco. He's he was still, we're still friends. And I always remember like, you know, I got, I got the reply letter from one school. Sorry, you know, thanks for applying, you know, the typical like rejection yeah. letter. And then from the other school and then the third school. And then I remember I, I came home one day and I listened to my voicemail and, and Vesco was saying, I'm a Yale man. I'm a Yale man. I got accepted to Yale. And then I was like, fuck, you know, but by God's grace, I got admitted to Cornell. I, I fucked that up later on, but that's another story. <laughs> but, you know, getting rejected, that was like my first rejection in my life. And it really hurt. I remember it really hurt. And if I had back then been taught, listen, you tried your best, but from the very beginning, you were detached from the result. I wouldn't have mm -hmm. suffered as much. Yeah. That makes sense. I think that's a common theme because to me, attachment is deeply associated with expectations. Right? Okay, unpack so, that. So when you, you live without expectation, you can actually live with a certain amount of freedom, a certain degree of freedom that you cannot have if you have an attachment or an expectation to a result. Okay. It's like, as an example, you know, we, we've talked a lot on this podcast about giving the mode of giving methods of giving. And if we kind of unravel that a little bit further and say, okay, well, we can't be attached to the result of the giving, right? And we cannot have an expectation of reciprocation, even to a degree to which we gave. Then we don't have disappointment. Because then our motivation is pure and it's clear. You're doing something because you genuinely want to do it and you're not doing something because you are attached to, a, like you were saying, a particular result or a particular level of reciprocation. Mm 
oftentimes this happens with relationships, right? There's always one person in the relationship uh, in that particular dynamic that oftentimes is more invested than the other. And there's an ebb and flow to that. One person may be more invested on this particular week or month or year, and the other person then becomes more invested another week, month, or year. So if you are overly attached and you say, okay, well, I brought my wife flowers. How come she didn't make me dinner? <laughs> you know, that's not fair. Why did I bother giving her flowers? Then all of a sudden it becomes like this expectation and this expectation of reciprocation. And then you, you, you kind of reduce things down to transactionalism versus actual loving, you know, and giving spiritually, which we've talked about before. And this, like you're saying, you're, I thought that's an excellent example. I mean, you have kids all over. If we just look at that, that, you know, this idea of going to college or whatever, which, you know, I'm still not sold on completely. Uh, people apply to schools and then if they get a rejection letter, they freak out. Right. Or yeah. look, look at the modern age. I hate to bring this up, but it's really, it's there. It exists for so many people. Uh, this thing of online dating and they're dating on digital apps and people are swiping left and swiping right. I think swipe left is a rejection. Swipe right is an acceptance. And let's say you swiped right on somebody that didn't swipe right back on you. And then all of a sudden your feelings are hurt. How come he or she didn't like me? I thought that my picture was cute. I liked my profile. What happened? Instead of looking at everything as like a game, you know what I mean? And just like, you're just doing it to do it. Just go all in. As a, as a, as a side, as an aside, I, I saw a reel recently where Brad Pitt was accepting his, um, his Oscar and he walks up And he's like, wow, I think I'm gonna, I think I should add this to my Tinder profile. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was excellent. That's really funny. Yeah, so I, I think, you know, if we kind of break this down into where people have the most attachment in terms of trying results. to succeed. Yeah, right? Re they're looking at results and where are the, where are the two most important areas of, results, uh, attachment, relationships and work and money. Yeah. Career. Yeah. But work, work, career dives into money. You know, years ago I had a mentor say to me, Brian, if you ever do something just for money and you just always chase money, you'll never get it. He, he said to me repeatedly, don't chase money, chase your dreams, go all in with whatever it is, whatever you love, attack it, with intensity and passion. And if you're doing the right thing and you're putting your whole heart into it, eventually people are going to recognize you and they're going to come to you. And to play the devil's advocate, even if someone does something to get money, to take money, there's nothing necessarily inherently wrong with that. Mm -hmm. That detachment has to be there. Yeah. Like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try to become a millionaire this way or that way. And I'm going to try my very damn best, right? I'm going to be as efficient as the, you know, the, the most well-oiled machine um, in existence. But the result, the result, there's, you know, in, in ancient uh, Eastern uh, parlance, you have this idea of the fruit, mm -hmm. the fruit of your action, right? The yeah. result 
the fruit. So like, you know, you, you have a right, you have a duty, you have a responsibility to the action, mm-hmm. whatever it be, it be, it may be, but the fruit is, is not, is not your prerogative. You, you know, it's not, it's beyond your, your, your pay, your paycheck, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you ever see, I mean, I doubt that you have, but the Fast and Furious series? I think I saw the first two, and then it all started being the same to me, so I don't know. <laughs> there's one of them, I think it's number 43, where, I'm mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> just kidding, where there's a discussion between the main hero, I don't know, that bald guy, you know, who's kind of, who's really buff. Right, and he's mm-hmm. speaking to a young, you know, a younger guy, and they're like sitting under this palapa in some desert in Afghanistan or something. And he's like, and he's like quoting some, some, some ancient texts from Asia. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he's, you know, he's speaking to him about particularly that point that, you know, you, you got to go out there, you're going to fight, but the result, the fruit is, is not, you know, is up, not, is not up for you to, to be attached to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. I think, uh, you know, oftentimes we become so attached to the result in the fruit and we of suffer. the labor. Yeah, and we, they suffer. Suffer. we suffer because that's what's creating the anxiety instead of going out and doing it. I'll, I'll give you an example. Here's my music contribution for the episode. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite bands of all time is Van Halen. And if any listener doesn't know who Van Halen is, you better go listen to Van Halen, the David Lee Roth era. And recognize it's one of the greatest rock and roll bands in the history of the ever, at least according to me. Anyways, so I used to, when I was a kid, I used to have these bootleg tapes from all over the world of Van Halen playing. And they, they would, a lot of these tapes would, uh, that my cousin would make me would have interviews in them from the band. And one time, I, I, I want to I say this was, you know, going back into my little mental Rolodex here, 1981 in Buenos Aires, Argentina. The interviewer is interviewing Diamond David Lee Roth, the lead singer of Van Halen at the time. That's the guy who was saying, I wish they all could be California girls, Yeah, right? he did California girls after he left Van Halen, yes, yes. And I have a funny story about that, but we'll say that for another podcast. Um, so basically, what happened was, they're like, how is it that you're able to have so much energy on stage and, and you know, it's just always an explosive show? And he says to the interviewer, he's like, well, you know, there's a lot of musicians and artists that get up there and they can't seem to perform unless they feel that spark from the audience. And he's just like, and I'll tell you what, he's like, I ain't waiting for no spark. He's like, I'm lighting that spark myself and I'm lighting that fire and I'm going out there guns blazing. And that, since listening to that when I was a kid, I was like, I gotta be like Diamond Dave. I ain't waiting for no spark. I'm going out there, I'm kicking down the doors and I'm kicking ass my way. And you look at the history of that band and what they were doing in the, you know, the early to mid 70s before they ever got signed. They were playing seven days a week, sometimes two shows a day. You could go to a club and see them play and there may be two people in the audience and they're playing like there's 20,000 people in the audience. They never waited for a spark. They never were attached to a particular result night in, night out, for like six years, they were playing over and over and over again, two, three times a day, seven days a week, to empty, empty house. Or sometimes, okay, maybe a backyard party, you know, a beer party or something at a backyard in Pasadena. Didn't matter. 
right? They were not, they, they were attached to what, like what you were saying, the idea, the concept, the labor, they were attached to the love of creating music and building their band and had zero attachment to the fruits of the labor. And when it came and when they finally exploded, they blew everyone off the stage. And uh, that's something I have literally carried with me all these years, you know, because I've been in sales for, you know, in business for so many years. And people are like, well, did you look at the numbers this week? Did you look at the numbers? I'm like, hell no, I didn't look at the numbers. Why? Like, I'm not attached to the result. I'm going out there and I'm kicking ass. I'm building a business because I know how to build a business and I know how to sell. And my whole idea is I'm going out there because it's fun and I'm going to have fun. And as much fun as I have and that enthusiasm that starts to create that spark, it's going to get people excited about what I'm talking about and they're going to get motivated and they're going to move the needle. You know, so I've never been attached to the, the fruits of the labor with regards to my work. I'm like, it's going to come. If I keep, keep my nose down and I keep looking forward, keep the blinders on like a Clydesdale horse, it's going to happen. But it may not. I mean, to, again, to play the devil's advocate, like if we're going to be detached from the fruit of our work, mm. from the result of our work, um, then we got to be ready for the eventuality, for the possibility that in spite of having the best motivation and being really detached, you see, because it, it's not that because we've managed to learn detachment from our you know, from the result of our endeavor, it doesn't mean that, oh, automatically that means that the, you know, the, the desired result will come. <laughs> no, it may not. Like you could, you could be totally detached from day one and strive just for the love of the, you know, of the, of the music creation or for the love of business or, and, and by the way, this applies also in the spiritual realm. And I hope we can touch on that in, in, in a few but the result may, you know, the desired result may still never come, you know? But, but then that gets back to, it's like, why do you have a desired result? Why are you not just enjoying the journey? Hmm. So it's just like, you know, people are, I, I, I tell this all the time to my students who are like so curious about when they're going to get their next belt or level up into their but martial there is arts something, There's something cool about like wanting, you know, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work my ass off for the next two years so I can you know, make enough money to build the house that I always dreamed of, mm. or I'm going to train really hard this next year so I can get that brown belt. I mean, mm. come on, there's something nice to say. I mean, there's something valuable about a, a desired object. It's not like... Well, I think that there's a difference between an objective and a goal, right? And just putting all your eggs into it, like if it doesn't happen today or if it doesn't happen next year, it's never going to happen. Like... You don't need to give up. Look at, you know, not that I promote, uh, uh, what do you call it, animal eating in any way, but Colonel Sanders, the guy that started Kentucky Fried Chicken, when you talk about, like, this guy got famous and built his business, I think when he was in his, like, late 60s, and he literally went to over a 1,000 places to sell his recipe and nobody was interested. He didn't stop. He had passion for this special chicken recipe and eventually it kicked off. And so I think that we have to be able to measure, measure our results by looking at the direction, like ultimately what is the achievement? If the achievement is just an object or a thing, I think, yes, you can be sorely disappointed, right? Because you have that attachment versus looking at it going, I'm living for this. 
this is, you know, this is my life. I'm going to help people. I'm going to, you know, let's say you pick a career. Let's say you're a psychologist, you know, or some type of counselor. And you're like, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to help as many people as I can. Yeah. You want to build a house. Yeah. You want to do this. I mean, want to do that. But what's really the motivation is the motivation, you know, to actually develop something for the world, to be a part of the world, to be better. Or is it just for some type of selfish acquisition? That's, that's kind of how I look at it. I like that. I, I respect that. At the same time, a selfish quote unquote acquisition is a reality. Yeah. Right. So as long as it may not, you know, hurt others or having something or wanting something literally like a physical thing for oneself, whether it's a promotion, whether it's a new car, whether it's a, a Tinder like, <laughs> whether yeah. it's a nice husband, whatever. Mm -hmm. I think we shouldn't necessarily shun that desire. Rather, we should pray or try to develop detachment from whether that thing comes or not. You see what I mean? Yeah. And the spiritual thing, can we bring the discussion into the realm of the spiritual? Sure. I mean, ultimately, this whole concept of detachment is a spiritual thing, a spiritual idea, right? I don't know. But, tell yeah, tell, I think tell so. us tell us how you see that. If you separate yourself from the material, then any acquisition ends up becoming, I don't want to say irrelevant, but it becomes minimized in the grand scheme of things. Because it, it's it's a material attachment and a material result that's playing on our heartstrings, so to speak. You know, if, if we're really going out there for whatever it is and we are giving 100% from a selfless, a selfless uh, point of view or a selfless motivation, you know, and ultimately that comes from a spiritual grounding and a spiritual understanding, you kind of lose a sense of attachment because mm -hmm. you're, you're just enjoying the process and you're in bliss of the service that you've created for the world. I'll give an example in Christian circles, this idea of church planting, for example, mm -hmm. right? Or, you know, making disciples for Christ. Unless you want to drive yourself crazy, you got to have that sense of detachment. And that's why there's mm -hmm. this, you know, this famous Christian saying, you know, thy will be done, right? Thy will yeah. be done. So it's like, whatever, whatever you want, you know, I'm going to try my best to open a, you know, whatever, to plan a church in, I don't know, whatever, Barcelona. And then whether it blows up and becomes a really big, successful, wonderful congregation, blah, 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 or whether no one comes and I have to fold house after six months, you know, the, it's beyond my, my pay grade. Mm. And I think if we, if we have that, and same thing with like, for example, you know, like people do meditation or prayer or reading scripture, like we talked about, right? A, a spiritual practice for the love of the practice, but ultimately, hopefully also simultaneously for the cherished result of becoming a better person, of becoming a more lovable, a loving person and mm -hmm. probably also lovable person. And, developing more compassion for the world and becoming more selfless and so on, right? As we discussed in previous episodes. Yeah. 
Well, sometimes, and I've experienced myself, you know, you, you have a particular spiritual practice that you really put in a lot of time in and effort. And after, you know, X months or X years, you realize, well, you know what? I'm, <laughs> I'm not really quite there yet. And, and I'm kind of like, I wish I'd, you know, I, I still have a lot of, I mean, a million shortcomings. And so that sense of being detached, even for spiritual aspiration has to be there too. Yeah. Right. Like, okay, whatever, however long it takes, you know, as long as I'm sincere, as long as I'm honest with myself, as long as I'm trying my best, then whether, you know, grace descends upon me in, in, you know, in, in tiny increments or in one shot or, or after 20 years or after 20 days, you know, ultimately it's up to the universe. It's up to the divine. It's up to God. That's a nice attitude to have. What do you think, what do you think of destiny in this whole discussion? You know, it's funny that you say that because <laughs> I was watching a movie last night called Which Bullet one? Train. Bullet Train with uh, Brad Pitt. Is that a new a new one? Yeah, I think it's new. I think it came out this year in 2022 and I was watching it on, on Netflix. And uh, they talk a lot about fate in the movie. And, you know, it takes place in Japan. And so there's this this weaving of this philosophy of fate, destiny, all this. So the question you bring up is it's, it's very curious because at what point do we merge destiny and or fate with our own intentions and free will? Yeah. And I think those are, those are two things that while can seem very polarizing, I think can be very complementary, and at the same time, there's a way to harmonize that simultaneous inconceivable difference between them, to where there's 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 a, there's a harmony between the two, and, and I think that we have to be aware of that. So destiny, I mean, every tradition sees destiny different, fate different, you know. Uh, what what's written for you? What's your story versus how much can you create on your own, right? Right. And, I and think how much are you? How much uh, are you um, bound or limited? Yeah. By some sort of fate, some sort of destined, you know, allotment that's allotted to you. Right? Yeah, and I think it's like I look at it like this: you have a book, and you have an outline for a story. But within that outline of the story, you're free to improvise and create your own dialogue and actually mold the story and shape the story as it goes along. Like when you're a child, kids play with clay and Play-Doh and stuff like this. So you have these canisters of Play-Doh. There's different colors, right? You can pull it out. Then all of a sudden you can create something with it. So you have these building blocks, right? And I look at it like this. There's three modalities that exist within our building blocks of dis destiny within us, right? Three modes, goodness, passion, and ignorance. And very similar to a DNA helix, we have a blend of all three. And what we end up leaning towards and gravitating towards ends up shaping our destiny for the future. 
but ultimately how we are setting up our present circumstance and how we react to things and how we actually are living day to day is what's shaping that future, right? Because ultimately we can never get outside of the present. And this is something that I think we all, all the listeners, all of us together need to sit back and think about for a second. The only place you can ever be is now. So this, this, in one sense, this artificial construct that we have in the material world of like, imagine a ruler and we're taking a measurement saying, this is the past, say one is the past, 13 is the future, and we're right in the middle of six, right? We're trying to create this linear progression when you can only be right where you are at any given time. It never changes. That's the non-changing part of our existence. This is like, we're always right where we need to be, where we're supposed to be, and that doesn't change. So conceptually, when we are looking at, okay, well, what's this attachment we have to the future? It ultimately becomes, I hate to use this word meaningless, but it becomes more irrelevant if we realize that the only thing we can affect is right now. And right now will change and evolve as we start to progress. You remind me of, a, of the lyrics, a middle passage in one of my favorite songs in the whole universe. You know, in the 1970s was a golden era in, 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 in American music. Yeah. And I, there's different theories for it. There's a spiritual theory behind it. Um, which I don't want to get into, but suffice it to say that Stevie Wonder for me is, is just a freaking hero. Yeah. And he wrote one song called As. Mm -hmm. Remember? Yeah. Right. I'll always love you. I mean, uh, always until the trees and seas uh, fly away, always until the day is, is the day. And, uh, and, so, and so, so in the middle of that song, which is a long song, it's like six minutes long. He, he does a sort of a, almost like a hip hop, like dial, uh, monologue and check this out. He says, cause you know, you talk about being in the present, right. Mm -hmm. And, and kind of being stuck in where you're kind of where you are right now. So he goes like this, he says, he says this, we all know sometimes life's hates and troubles can make you wish you were born in another, in another time and space, mm. but you can bet your lifetime and that, and twice it's double that God knew exactly where he wanted you to be placed. Mm. So make sure when you say you're in it, but not of it, you're not helping to make this earth a place sometimes called hell. Change your words into truth and then change that truth into love. And maybe our children's grandchildren and their great grandchildren will tell. Holy shit. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Stevie Wonder just summed it all up right there. <laughs> right. All right. Well, you can write to us at the Shaping Spirit Podcast at Gmail. See you guys later. <laughs> yeah. I mean, wow. Almost brings a tear to my eye. That just put the hairs on my neck standing. Uh, boy, oh boy. That that's talk that's about a, one a for gold meditation nugget in that sequence. song. Yeah. I mean. I'd say, boy, if we were able to just meditate on that every morning, whoosh, boy, you're, you're going in the right direction. Let me tell you, right. that is, that is something else. That's incredibly profound.
Yeah. That's beautiful. <laughs> We're kind of like speechless. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I wasn't expecting that. You know, that kind of like it was so well articulated in terms of what what is this all about, you know? And uh yeah, that's uh that's intense, man. You I like this idea of being detached uh-huh. with you know, alongside or by actually by the help or via the technology or the method of of taking a step back and and believing that there's you know some sort of higher plan out there. There's some sort of design. There's some sort of you know, and and we have free will, but at the same time we're in you know some sort of universal uh, game plan, and and there's a higher purpose, and you know we often hear about. Uh, blessings in disguise or, you know, there's mm-hmm. silver lining. And so I think it's really incumbent upon us to, to live our life trying the best we can, trying to make the best decisions in all spheres, you know, relationship, career, money, spirituality, choosing spiritual guides. I mean, you name it, right? Mm-hmm. And at the same time, being, you know, being um, open to the idea that there's something, someone's, you know, above us tiny little ants who, who you know, kind of runs the show in a way. And, 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 and there's forces that are maybe invisible, but much greater and larger than we can even conceive that are guiding us in certain ways, you know. And, and if we have faith that in the ultimate sense, you know, the universe or the divine uh, is good, you know, is really good uh, for us, then we can almost sort of have a trust, you know, a trust in another song. Remember the band Incubus? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever tomorrow brings, I'll be there with open arms and open eyes. Yeah. What do you think of that? So I'm going to throw out a word and I want you to tell me. You know, I saw you them think- live in Paris. Really? That drummer was just out of this world. Okay, so let me, let, let me give you a word here, and you tell me how this will ultimately relate to thriving without attachment. Surrender. Yeah, we have to be careful with that word because it often implies a loss of free will, a, you know, of throwing out, you know, of dumping out the window one's own intelligence and sense of rational decision-making. There's a re- I love the concept, but I think it has to be qualified, you know, with, with the maintenance, with the strong maintenance or the, the strong keeping of one's, you know, individuality and sense of responsibility in the world and sense of decision-making and, and rational, you know, decision-making and assuming, you know, the consequence of one's own actions. What do you think? Because... Otherwise, like, okay, I surrender. I become a cult member. (laughs) Right, yeah. So I think this is where it kind of comes into play. You know, we've talked about before this concept of faith versus works. And, you know, you really see, you know, not to get into like a historical discussion here, but where this kind of really played out in Western religious traditions was the fall of the Second Temple of Jerusalem under during the Roman Empire. 
so this concept, this controversy of faith versus works really started to develop itself then. And can you speak that closer f- into your mic? Sure. We can actually leave that for another podcast, but yeah. Please, so please the say something of, about it though. It sounds yeah, cool. So, uh, okay. I'll, I'll, unra- I'll lightly unravel it like this and then people can explore this on our own and we can actually use this for another podcast. So this concept of faith versus works really took hold during the, the, the near downfall of the second temple of Jerusalem. Why do I say that? This is the time of, the, the, uh, I guess you can say, the messianic era of the Roman occupation of Judea. And in the messianic era, you had a variety of people, like this concept, the Jesus concept. I'm not going to use this as a, you know, a religious platform, but let's just look at it from a critical historical perspective and look at the, the timeline of how things occurred at this time and space in this particular location. The concept of Jesus, the concept of this, uh, you know, Messiah did not originate with Jesus, literally in Judea at that time, under uh, the Roman Empire, it was like every week there was a new Messiah. That's what people need to understand. Every week there was a new Messiah under this concept of uh, Judaic thought, right? Where they said, okay, at this point, we're going to be saved from occupation. We're going to have this restoration of the kingdom of Israel. And then, you know, we'll have this peace and harmony throughout the world. So a couple things happened leading up to the downfall of the second temple. Number one, you had multiple, uh, you know, this messianic complex. It it happened multiple people prior to uh, Jesus being ascribed this concept of Messiah, which happened far after his, his disappearance from the world. Uh, There was John the Baptist who was considered the great Messiah. Then once he was beheaded, they're like, oops, I guess it wasn't that guy. But he was the leading candidate. He was the the most prolific leading candidate of the uh, Messiah concept prior to Jesus. Then you have like the Jesus concept that came through, then where that really took hold. And the the reason why I bring this up, this concept of faith versus works and surrender versus action right, and our own personal commitment came at this time because once Jesus was gone from the planet, from a historical perspective, there was two factions within what we will call the Jesus followers. The ones that wanted to kind of go proselytize around the world outside of, um, you know, Judea, and those who wanted to stick close to the Judaic philosophy and stay within the confines of the second temple where they were. And that was actually the stronger group. It wasn't until the destruction, the revolt, the Jewish revolt at that time and the destruction of this second temple by the Romans, right? They're trying to quell this revolt. The second temple was destroyed, was this concept of um, Gentile proselytization flourishing. And that's where it took hold throughout the Roman Empire, throughout the different parts of Europe and, and, and whatnot. And that's where you see this delineation of action versus faith. 
and just pure surrender. Because prior to that, they said, no, we got to continue our tradition. This is, according to them, that's what Jesus wanted. And there was a couple people uh, who will remain nameless for this podcast who were actually pushed out by the original Jesus followers and said, if you want to preach this particular way, go somewhere else. And they were pushed out. And then the reason why that style of what we have now of Christianity, uh, which is predominantly this, you know, you have these lineages of ultra faith versus lack of works comes from the destruction of the second temple because they all died. And that, that, that strong foothold that they have of keeping you know, Jewish tradition alive, according to what Jesus, they believe Jesus taught them, kind of took a back seat to who was left. And who was left was the style of proselytization, whereas give up all sense of works, give up all sense of your personal action or personal responsibility, surrender to this concept of this personal Messiah, and you are free from everything. And ultimately, you're saved regardless of what you do. And so the reason why I bring up this concept of surrender is if somebody is in this, like you were saying, and I thought you said this so beautifully, Cyril, this, this concept of, of complete surrender without any personal uh, responsibility, it don't work. We see it all the time, right? Where people are like, oh, yeah, okay, well, I already believe, I have faith, I surrender, whatever God wants for my life, I'm going to do that, but... I don't have to do anything. I'm just going to sit on the couch and, there's, and watch TV. There's a, th- there's a throng of literatures, you know, not to quote too many, but, you know, The Secret and uh, The Unfettered Soul, you know, where you read the, the summary and it's like, you know, so-and-so was just a regular guy until he decided to just let life take over. And it's like, what? <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a, li- it's a little bizarre. I think we all have to be responsible for our actions. You know, we have to embrace our passion in life and embrace what is the passion. Now, here's the thing. We haven't talked about this, but I think this is, this is key in terms of understanding how do we thrive without attachment. Our passion should be in the mode of service and giving to the world, not in the passion. The passion should not be in the mode of acquisition. But, can, but again, I, I totally agree. It's a higher grade of motivation. Yeah. But the cool thing about thriving with detachment applies even for, you know, so-called lower grade goal of an, an acquisition. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. But let's go, let's go where you, you're going. Let's, you know, a sort of a more noble... <laughs> a no, more noble... Four noble uh, truths. Here we go. Hmm. Um yeah, so we, we, we have to look at this in a couple different ways, right? When we are doing something for the sake of career, and re- let's just focus on career at the moment, because to me, that's the most tangible. Because we can focus on relationship as well, but relationship in a lot of ways is intangible, where it's not necessarily something physical, it's an emotion, it's, an, it's, a, it's a connection, right, that is oftentimes unseen, unseen, unheard. It's a sensation between, say, as an example, two people, regardless of gender or, or you know, ethnicity or whatever. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a sensation. Although as a small apprentice of the example you yourself gave, you know, a half hour ago about, you know, God, you know, I offered her flowers. Why isn't, why didn't she 
cook dinner for me. I mean, there are practical ways sure. to uh, to be disappointed, mm-hmm. you know, in 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 relationships, you know. Yeah, but go, no, go on, go on. That that goes without saying. I think when we look at the career, you know, how do we have a more spiritual perspective to our career, where we can thrive in our career without? you know, this attachment to a particular result, right? If we are doing, if we are framing ourselves correctly, where we're doing it the right way, we are taking good counsel, right? Because we're not alone, regardless of what our career is. Every successful person always says the same thing. Surround yourself with people more intelligent than yourself. Ultimately, if you want to be successful, you want to be kind of like the dumbest person in the room. Take great advice get the best people working with you and for you and, and work together. That, that's what it should be. If you're always the most intelligent person in the room, it's, it's, it's number one, it's a very lonely place to be. Number two, it's gonna, not going to be very satisfying. You're not, you're not being fed. You're not being developed. So when, let's say I'm a, I don't know, let's take some random career. I don't know, an accountant or something, right? So I'm an accountant, I go into this job and I work for this major company and I'm working on some type of merger or acquisition and I have to go out there and I'm running numbers and this and that and it's just like I'm burning the candle at both ends. The thing to do would be like, okay, I'm going to put my heart into this because I love accounting, I love numbers, I love building companies up versus I better get a million dollar bonus at the end or... I better uh, get a promotion at the end, you know, and if I don't, then all of this was for nothing, right? That becomes the wrong approach. Instead of, I'm doing this because I love it. I'm doing this because I'm good at it. You're talking about motivation here. Yeah. You got to have the right, that, the right motivation is what creates, what you, creates that sense of attachment versus detachment, in my opinion. Hmm. What's your motivation for doing anything? Is it, is it just purely just for stroking your ego? Or is, it, is your motivation really whatever that is in, in life to contribute something positively to the world? And I know we talk about that a lot, but I really wonder how many people actually sit back and do we actually ask ourselves this question? You know? To play the devil's advocate, you could have the best noble intentions and have an unhealthy attachment to the fruit. Yep. There's one spiritual teacher from the East, right? Um, And he wrote in one of his like passing, like his last, you know, teachings before he passed away, something to the effect that, you know, uh, and he belonged to one of the theistic traditions of, Mm -hmm. of the East. So, you know, there's that sort of, Abrahamic or the same sort of sense, you know, this, no, this notion of trying to, you know, bring the good news, so to speak, to, to, to others, right? Which is kind of, it's, it's unavoidable in any theistic tradition, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's, he's saying, you know, do not be discouraged that, you know, people around you and this, in this particular era that we live in, um, which is, you know, according to that, to that particular paradigm is, is ultra, ultra materialistic. Mm-hmm. Don't be disappointed. Don't be disappointed that, that, you know, you're not going to get many people to be interested in your message. Mm-hmm. 
So the fact that he would give that instruction, right? I mean, the, the, the intention of the people he's talking to is assumed to be of the highest caliber. Like, you know, what's greater in terms of a noble, a noble uh, objective in life than to live one's life, you know, whether one is living as, as a monk or as a, as a rich CEO of a company that's completely irrelevant. But if the goal is supposedly, you know, trying to uplift humanity in terms of, of, of its consciousness and bring it closer to the divine, I mean, there's nothing more, you know, theoretically, there's nothing greater than that in terms of a, of a, of a noble motivation, right? Yeah. Well, even in that context, that teacher is saying, do not be discouraged that, you know, you may not get the fruit that you're looking for. You know, not, don't be disappointed that, that, that a, a, a much smaller number of people are going to come forward and answer the call, so to speak. You see mm -hmm. what I mean? So sure. to me, that shows that there, there's, the, there's the, you know, in spite of a great noble, noble uh, intention, there could be an unhealthy attachment to the fruit, however the intention, however noble the intention may be. Mm. I think I like we have the distinction between motivation and, and detachment, regardless of whether the motivation is good or bad. Yeah. But I totally agree with you that, you know, the more noble the motivation, the, 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 the less room there is or the less possibility for disappointment there is. You yeah, would, you would agree I, with that, I, right? Yeah, I do. And ultimately, I think it comes down to this saying that I've, uh, you know, I've heard from a lot of successful people, do what you love, block out the noise, do what you love. Like the things that I do, I'll just, I'm going to use myself as an example. The things that I do in my life, I do what I love. And because I love it, I'm not too worried about, okay, you know, music that I've written, that I've produced, worked on, stuff like that. I'm not going, okay, did I make $10 million off of this? Did, you know, I get 500,000 downloads this week from this particular music? Or, you know, I, I don't look at, like, when I have a seminar for, you know, my, my martial arts and stuff, and I go, I'm not thinking, like, well... I didn't have 50 people at the seminar. I only had 20 people, so this is a failure. No. I look at it in the sense that if I can affect one person, I, I succeeded. If I can, I, I'm always looking, my motivation is, did I help anybody? And so if, if my result is I didn't help anybody or, or it, it, was not, it didn't resonate with anyone, I'm not upset in a sense that, well, I didn't help, well, this was a failure. I go back and I go, what can I do better? Or what can I do differently to make sure I helped one person? So that's kind of, regardless of what I'm doing in life, be it from my, my you know, my daytime business stuff, my music, uh, you know, my martial arts instruction, I'm looking for, did I get one person to move a step in the right direction? If I haven't done that, then the onus is on me to develop myself better so I can be of better service to others. And when that happens, things, things develop. That's what I truly believe. I believe that things will come in time. If I'm putting my whole heart into something and I'm really developing and helping people in the right way. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you know, because the thing is, it's like, I, I really believe that, this type of attachment to the results of our labor is such a 
emotional and mental deterrent. It, it, it's, it, it, man, it just drags you down. It drags you down. I don't see a positive. You know, people would say, oh, well, you know, but if you're attached, then it'll make it so much sweeter. No. The sweetness should come in the action, in the devotion that you're putting out and your commitment to the principle of what you're doing, of your actions. The, the nectar is not in the result. And ultimately, if you are coming from a spiritual perspective, that result isn't yours to enjoy anyways. Yeah. Because there's something greater than you or a person greater than you, and they are the ones in, That's a great in, point. in, in, the, in that mode of enjoyment. The result comes from, you know, some level above you and, and you're supposed to offer that um, back to the divine, you know. There's yeah. this notion, again, in the East of like a wheel that's, that keeps turning, right? A wheel mm -hmm. that's, that's been like a sort of a cosmic wheel where, where you receive blessings and then, but then you offer them, you offer those blessings, whatever, whatever form they come in back to the divine and and then blessings come back down to you and you offer them back. So, so there's like, there's this constant flow where the wheel is run, is turning as opposed to at one point like putting a stick right in the middle and saying, okay, now I'm going to enjoy <laughs> the fruit. You know, I'm going to enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. I, I think that that's, I think that that's mission critical that right there, you know, we, we have to really place our heart in the center where we our motivation is that we are doing things that we love and we're doing things to really push forward, you know, a sense of, of, of uh, wholeness and wellness to the world. And that, that this attachment to the results of the labor, I think not in all cases, but in many cases can be very toxic. And we're so, uh, we become so obsessive with it. Like, look at, just look at TikTok or Instagram or Facebook or something. Oh, I didn't get enough likes. It's conditioning us to be attached to the results of our labor. Oh, I didn't get enough likes. This wasn't good. Oh my God, what am I going to do? I can't leave the house for three days because I didn't get a li enough or likes. Or I'll on just Instagram. show more skin and I'll get more likes like that. Yeah. So it, I believe in a lot of ways, <laughs> this is really another podcast altogether. That it is conditioning us in a lot of ways. This, these forms of social media are conditioning us to be attached to the fruits of labor. Well, let's let's talk about that and let's yeah. keep. I mean, let's literally like take a note and 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 keep yeah. that as a next as a next topic. I'll I'll note it down right now. There you go. Social yeah. media and and its you know effect on our consciousness. Yeah, I love that. It was funny, you know, the other day my, uh, I was with my kids. And so we were listening to one of our podcasts and my daughter had even brought this up to me and she was just like, and you know, she's 11. She's like, Hey daddy, you know, you guys should really talk about how people are so upset, you know, in her 11 year old mind, how she's trying to articulate to me. But she basically said the same thing. You guys should really talk about how people are always on their phones and they're, they're so obsessed with what happens on their phones that they are completely unattached from reality and they don't know how to connect with people Disconnected, anymore. yeah. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this is an 11-year-old, very astute. You know, she doesn't have a phone. Smart. You know, I, I, won't, I won't let her have a phone. At some point, I'll let her have something just so she can communicate with me, you know, if, if she's somewhere and I'm not there. Um, but it's her personal observation because she sees her peers 
you know, and she sees people around her. Yeah, exactly. Just obsessed with the phone, right? And well, the matrix, like, I mean, that's another great topic, you know. Yeah. How, how much are we coming more and more close to literally a matrix situation? It's freaky, man. Where the digital has more importance than the real. Yeah, and you know, I, this, I, I know I've said this before in previous podcasts, but I am so grateful that we grew up in a generation without internet. I learned to type on a typewriter. You know, the computer thing was just getting started, like, you know, when I was in high school, then the internet came out one day, and I was like, what the hell is this? I didn't have attachment to it. You know, we're one of the last generation, I think we're the last generation to grow up without it. Yeah. You know, and then after us, it's just like everything, you know, you have these kids now in these digital ages where it's just like, they're so stuck to the screen, and I see it, and I was like, wow, this is weird. And I also see, and again, we'll get in this in another podcast, I see how it takes away from them owning their own identity. They're losing a sense of individuality because they're like merging into that. I mean, even on Instagram just today, because I have a friend helping me uh, make, do some Instagram ads to, for something here in Tulum, Mexico. Mm -hmm. And, and there's a choice, now you can have, instead of uploading a picture of yourself, you can have, you can, you know, have the, the algorithm or the artificial intelligence come up like with a, with a, with a lookalike cartoonish avatar of yourself. Yeah. And that's so telling. Yeah. Anyway, let's keep that for another, another, yeah, uh, we will. maybe we can wrap it up on, on the issue of detach, of thriving with, 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 without attachment or with detachment. Mm -hmm. And, and I just wrote down, you know, the, the topics here for, yeah, so awesome. if you're hearing this guys, we'll have some really cool discussions in the upcoming podcasts, yeah. but let's, let's, let's wrap it up I mean, and, and summarize it. I think, you know, you brought up a great, uh, I mean, what I'm taking back, you know, taking home from this is the idea that, you know, the motivation is key and, and the more noble and spiritual the motivation of our work is, the easier it is to be detached and the less De, you know, attachment versus detachment becomes an issue mm -hmm. because you're, you're kind of seeing a greater picture. I brought in the topic of, you know, yeah, of just whatever the motivation may be, you know, we have to kind of try our best to, to remember the fruits beyond my, my pay grade so that we're not disappointed whether, you know, whether we get what we want or we don't get what we want. Uh, anything you can come up with? I mean, remember... You know, I think all that's valid. And ultimately, we have to be comfortable with checking in for, with ourselves Good and point. just asking us the question, asking ourselves the question, why am I in this? What am I doing this for? What is my motivation, right? Am I doing it because I love it or am I doing it because I'm seeking some external validation or result and, you know, I don't love, I don't love what I'm doing? or I don't love that person in front of me. I just want this person to pay attention to me because they're in front of me. You know, this is question your own motivation. Sit down. This is part of our whole contemplation series, right? Well, we, which we've talked about when you're sitting, you got your five minutes in the morning, whatever it is before you meet the day, ask yourself, really dig down deep and ask yourself, what is my motivation? What do I want to accomplish in terms of giving And th how am I going to thrive without attachment? What am I going to do out of pure love and joy to give to the world without expecting anything in return? Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, let us keep those, those thoughts in mind as we move on 
through this week and through these months and through these years. Um, should we close with our favorite logo, uh, our favorite <laughs> slogan? <laughs> Might as well. Give it to us. Well, we remember, we are not our bodies. And we, we are not are matter, not, but we but, matter. But we matter, guys. Yeah. Shaping Spirit Podcast at gmail.com. Guys, hit us with questions, comments, jokes. If there's something, a spiritual topic you want to talk about, throw it to us. We're not right. charging you money. If you just want to get up and chat and you want to schedule time with us to chat about something that's going on in your life, hit us up. Let's do this, okay? Shaping Spirit Podcast at gmail.com. We're all in this together. We're here to move in a direction of growing together spiritually and respecting each other's individual paths. And thank you so much for listening to us. Talk to you later. Yeah.